What year is this? Listening to Lost in Twin Peaks, a podcast for both first time and veteran viewers of Twin Peaks, the mystery series that ran for two seasons in the early 90s on ABC, followed by a feature film, and 25 years later, a limited series on Showtime. And at the time of this recording, who knows what after that? If you're a new listener who has just discovered this podcast and wants to know more, check out Episode Zero Show Format. The following week of Daily Podcasts will cover Part 17 and 18, which together were aired as the finale of Season 3 on Showtime in 2017. The network used lines from each episode for titles, so Part 17 was also known as The Past Dictates the Future, and Part 18 was also known as What Is Your Name? Although recorded for patrons back in 2018, I am re-editing and re-presenting this coverage, including some new sections, for public release beginning on December 23rd, 2023. You can also explore the illustrated companion that goes with these episodes, published on my site, lostinthemovies.com, this morning. This illustrated companion, as always, incorporates screenshots and other images to reflect stories, characters, events from the time, and so forth, uh, in some cases in greater detail than the podcast themselves can. This is a unique episode to listen to because it's coming out in December 2023 after a long pause when I covered season three in 2022. And I want to finish that season, but I still have season two left to release to uh, listeners. So if you're listening to this way after the fact, hopefully I've gotten all of season two out. You can go down the uh, podcast feed in the order of episode and you wouldn't even notice that this was released uh, earlier than much of season two. Uh, If you're listening to it at the time, of course, you haven't heard the season two stuff yet. So stay tuned for that. But uh, if this is the final episode that you're hearing, uh, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit at the end and whether or not this will be the last of Twin Peaks. So uh, stay tuned in this uh, in, to, to these episodes for that discussion. But as far as uh, the season two stuff goes, I skipped over that so that I could release Fire Walk With Me in at least part of season three in time for some anniversaries in 2022. And uh, now I want to go back and, and release all the season two coverage publicly. Of course, all of this, as I mentioned, is already re- all recorded for uh, patrons. So if you want to hear it right now, you can go to patreon.com slash lost in the movies and uh, all of the Lost in Twin Peaks coverage is there for Season 2. But if you want to hear it in the public forum with the illustrated companions as your guide along, uh, that will be released probably in 2024, at least beginning in 2024. Uh, it's a lot of weeks, so it might go into 2025. I might have to wait longer. I don't want to release Season 2 until I've completed the re-editing and re-presentation work behind the scenes for all of them. Because I made that mistake with season three, I made it with season one, I uh, even with Firewalk with me to a certain extent, certain episodes were delayed in the middle of those weeks of coverage, so I just don't want to do that again, I want to be totally ready when I start putting up 
the season two premiere. Anyways, that's the kind of uh, housekeeping aspect of all this. And again, if you're listening to this after the fact and every episode's on the feed, you're good. So let's move on and uh, talk about the episode itself. At the end of this uh, particular day, I'll share my recent podcast work because there's so much of it that it would just bog down the front end of this uh, of, of today's episode, which is already long enough. So let's move on with part 17 and 18, the finale of season three, and thus far, the finale of Twin Peaks. Today's podcast discusses Laura Palmer's presence in the episodes, the feel of the episodes, and the structure of these episodes. We live inside a dream. I hope I see all of you again. Every one of you. Let's begin this discussion with the character who began it all, Laura Palmer. We see the end of Firewalk with me, of course, and, uh, you know, we we watch it now from a distance, black and white, music removed, etc., as I discussed. We get some new material when she stops in the woods, and that apparently was Cheryl Lee playing her with just some makeup. Like they said, they didn't even do that much digital. Not sure about that, because it does look like she was sort of adjusted somewhat, but it has an eerie feel to it. Like it doesn't feel exactly like, like they did a good job with it, but it's still, there's something uncanny about it. It's like, she's a different kind of Laura, almost like a mirage of Laura, uh, which, which works, I think, for what we're seeing and what's happening here. Of course, one of the coolest touches is in Firewalk With Me, she screams at something in the middle of the scene in the woods. We have no idea what she's screaming at. And, of course, they didn't either. It just was sort of a nice touch. But now it's interspersed with Cooper poking his head out from behind the tree. So it's like she's literally screaming at Cooper. And that was one of the things I liked that made me feel like this is actually continuous with Firewalk With Me. You know, even though Cooper supposedly intervenes to pull her away and we see her... Her body's not in the shore anymore and Pete goes fishing. I felt like, no, no, that was just an illusion because this has to be, she still has to run away and go to the train car because uh, we just saw her screaming. That's a little literal reading in a sense. You could just, you know, they're, they're, they're being a little more playful and poetic than that, but I still kind of like it. Laura, of course, also seems to tie in with the question of this, the story of the little girl who lived down the lane. And Carrie Page ultimately is the culmination of a dance between Cooper's story and that of the traumatized middle-aged women. It'd be Diane, Sarah, who is older, but, you know, Grace Zabriskie still still looks pretty young, so we'll include her in the middle-aged category as well. But uh, Audrey, the images of Laura we see, and then ultimately, you know, Carrie Page. It's just, that's an interesting dynamic that's at play here, I think. And it's kind of new for Lynch. I mean, trying to think, like, Laura, even Laura Dern in Inland Empires, pushing 40, like, she's not quite 
middle-aged yet she's still you know they shot that film for years she's still kind of a 30-something actress so like i can't think of any films where he's actually centered a story on a middle-aged woman as opposed to just a a really young woman dorothy valens is an older woman but she's a young older woman yeah the closest i can think of is wild at heart where the villain is a middle-aged woman and people have pointed out as certainly something that occurred to me as well that uh, the scene of Sarah smashing the picture of her daughter is fairly reminiscent of the uh, the character, the mother Marietta in Wild at Heart. I can't remember if she attacks like a picture of her daughter or what, but she kind of freaks out and then her face melts off of her own portrait. So there's an interesting dynamic there, but this is far more ambiguous to me. I don't think that Sarah's necessarily being presented as as a villain exactly even if she's sort of in a, a dark force in the story but overall there's just this this feeling throughout of this being a, a sort of a masculine story more so than the original twin peaks very cooper centric and yet off on the edges i wouldn't even call it the margins just the edges of the story there's all of these women kind of struggling and isolated and they don't have nearly um cooper doesn't have an easy time but like when he comes back everything's just sort of back to the heroic narrative and all of that. Like, uh, you know, even Janie E, too, can be thrown in there where she's a lot more joyful and kind of, you know, even when she's not joyful, she seems very sort of simple and straightforward. Um, it, it's interesting that they decided to make her and Diane sisters, you know, that think that says something about their characters and the dynamic going on there. And I talked about that a little in the previous episode, part 16. But So to go back to Laura, Carrie Page is the culmination of all of this where... Now it's Cooper, it's it's this older male hero and this sort of lost, troubled female, middle-aged female, and they're sort of put together, and these two narrative strands are coming together here and uh, and culminating with that that duo. It feels appropriate in a way, even if Laura herself hasn't played that big of a role in the series. Those two poles have always kind of been there. And, you know, again, to go to the positive-negative energy, there's also that kind of male-female dichotomy that Lynch loves to work with, which can understandably be seen as as somewhat uh, reductive to sort of use those archetypes and put so much stress on gender differences. I think the fact that he seems to be working on a more allegorical plane and, and also that he treats the characters with such sympathy and nuance to me at least, I think, alleviates any idea that maybe he's being somewhat sort of socially reductive, if that makes sense. I don't think he's necessarily making a statement about how society is, but he is using associations that we may have to kind of draw a larger, almost more psychological point in a way. Carrie both isn't Laura at all, and she also is a more realistic portrait of Laura than what Cooper encounters in the woods. You know, I I do think of her as being like a separate character, but at the same time, she feels more like what somebody with this really difficult youth might have grown into over the years, just being worn down but still surviving, versus this kind of idealized princess in the woods that the knight is going to reach out his hand and save. That's where that dichotomy between the two episodes, one of the areas where it comes out the most pronounced, is to have Carrie on the one side on part 18, and the Laura in the woods on the other side on part 17 just vanishing. Like, she's so chimerical that she can't even sustain, like, a physical presence there. And it's the real Carrie who, even if she is a different person, actually able in the end to channel and communicate Laura's energy through that scream. One last note. Lynch was asked recently 
uh, about Carrie Page if he wanted to continue her story. And he had a really interesting response to that. And according to Scott Meisner on Twitter, Lynch's answer was, it is calling, but there are a lot of disturbances. I kind of don't think we've seen the last of Twin Peaks. These two episodes are pretty distinct from each other. Uh, unlike parts one and two, where there's sort of subtle differences, but they kind of bleed together to the point where a lot of people don't even know where part one ends and part two begins, part 17 and 18 almost feel like the work of two different uh, filmmakers. And, you know, there's a certain con continuity in the style. Uh, David Lynch, of course, does direct both episodes, but R Harley Payton who was one of the writers for the original series, has described it as a, a, like a Lynch-Frost split where he feels like Mark Frost's end of the series is part 17 and David Lynch's is part 18. I've talked about that on previous podcasts. I think it's a really fascinating concept to tease out. I'm not sure if it's true. I, you know, ostensibly they both wrote these episodes together and then David Lynch, as we, you know, certainly do know, did direct both of them. Uh, but we'll talk a little bit more about that in the structure. For the moment, I want to talk about the feel of the episode. There's a lot of suggestive moments where it feels like it almost could be a dream, what we're seeing. But there's no, it, there's no moment of confirmation, and instead there's sort of moments of contradiction where it's like, you know, they're explicitly telling us that what we saw wasn't just a dream. Like, for example, when Cooper wakes up and he gets the note from Linda, we could almost be like, oh, everything that happened up to this point is a dream, like Mulholland Drive. But no, he says, like, Richard Linda, who's that? And then he later introduces himself as Cooper, and he's still looking for Laura. So we can't come up with an easy, uh, you know, just to borrow from Wizard of Oz, we can't come up with an easy, uh, you know, you were there and you were there, and, you know, it was all a dream type of, type of ending. Uh, he just, he doesn't give us that satisfaction. And I suspect, I always kind of suspect that Lynch might actually regret a little bit making it as explicit as I think he does in Mulholland Drive. Uh, you know, there's people who feel that, that that film does not have a dream structure. But to me, it's pretty hard to avoid, and it fits so nicely and neatly. And that's not the case with The Return. And nonetheless, of course, people do speculate all the time. Is, is there a dream? You know, who is the dreamer, as Monica Bellucci said? And of course, Cooper's enlarged face over the whole screen, which is a dreamlike image in and of itself, says, we live inside a dream. And the feel of this episode, of both of these episodes, is definitely dreamlike in different ways and at different times perhaps part 17 more and part 18 in a way feels like waking up from the dream and yet it's the most disconnected from everything we've seen in Twin Peaks so far if anything it feels like maybe the rest of Twin Peaks including seasons one and two were all a dream and this is and this is the waking up point and of course there's been some interesting theories about that uh, also discussed pretty recently I think where somebody thought that perhaps Cooper is the dreamer and he is also the murderer. He's the killer. And his whole this whole dream of Twin Peaks is some kind of rationalization for his crime, trying to avoid responsibility for it. I don't know if there's anything that literal going on. I kind of don't think so. I think it's a nice poetic reading. And I do think it corresponds to some of the themes going on. As far as the look and the texture of these episodes, I think particularly part 18, there's a kind of a almost sort of flat realism to it. Um, I don't want to say flat as in like uninteresting. There's always kind of a sharpness to the image. 
uh, but it's, it feels pared down often. There's almost a minimalism at work, especially the sequences of Cooper and Laura driving. If episode 29 of season two was Lynch throwing everything at the wall to see what's stuck and just going all out unhinged, this is like, this is a different sort of reaction and subversion where instead of adding things in, he's taking things out. At least that's how it feels. The episode feels very digital in that sense. It doesn't have like the romanticism of film, although it is worth pointing out. Part 8, of course, is very digital in a different way where it is beautiful and dreamlike and hallucinatory and vivid and, you know, just has that gorgeous feel that he could in a way only get from from digital at least a lot of the stuff but it's almost like the two sides of digital the side where you can go it frees you to do more with the image and the side where it loses some of that celluloid intangible magic and if part eight is the side of, of looking at digital in, in terms of what it can give you part 18 i think is looking at what it can't and i think that's important here because i think part 18 just as judy is described as sort of the negative force in relation to some other sort of positive force presumably this is the negative force of twin peaks you know to the extent it's judy's world you can talk about what that means in terms of story in terms of style i think it means you know, what we see and feel, this emptiness of Twin Peaks, this tiredness of it. You know, even when they drive into the town, everything seems kind of dead and, and very normal. People have wondered if this is the reality of Twin Peaks. You know, this is like they've left the narrative and now they're in the real world. This is like Snoqualmie North Bend or something. And that's why the real resident of Twin Peaks lives there. So we'll get more to that later. But I just want to touch on that because I always talk about the feel of the episodes at the beginning. And that's how that one feels. And part 17, I think, feels more almost cartoonish, like candy-like in a way. Uh, you know, this a little more colorful. It's like an action-packed superhero ending to the story at first. And then the second half is this weird sort of wish fulfillment, which then turns back on itself and is negated by a moment of... Uh, kind of terror with Sarah Palmer that doesn't feel like it belongs. That feels like if part 17 is the Frost version of the ending, that feels like Lynch's incursion into the Frost ending in a way, the Sarah smashing the portrait thing. We'll say more about that too, because there's a lot going on here with, with masculine and feminine energies and how those are presented, what they mean within the narrative, how that plays out thematically. So onto the structure of the episode, this is another episode, like many in the series, especially the second half, that begins with very straightforward, cut-to-the-chase uh, exposition and ends on a, a total enigma, enigmatic moment that we can't understand. If I'm, I'm talking about if you're going from part 17 all the way to part 18. And that, again, feels like that Frost-Lynch dynamic where Frost likes his expositions, he likes his explanations and giving an interpretation of events, even if he's not going to stick totally to it. Lynch, of course, likes the opposite. He likes his open-ended mysteries where you know something is happening, but you can't quite put your finger on it or articulate it. One of the things I liked about Harley Payton's interpretation of 17 and 18 as two different versions of the ending is that he actually pointed out i think that it's not just like here's frost here's lynch it's they're almost telling the same story but in totally different ways in both versions you have cooper confronting some version of the killer of laura palmer and then going to another place, traveling through, both cases, a motel scenario location, and looking to find Laura Palmer, finding a version of her, and then trying to take her, quote-unquote, home, and failing. And both episodes have that narrative embedded, and both of them have him at a certain, you know, quasi-halfway point a little earlier, reuniting with Diane. And this is equally interesting if you look at these two 
the the way these two episodes are presented, they almost feel like they exist independently of each other. And within World, we kind of have an explanation for that of, well, if Cooper pulled Laura away from her fate and then she got lodged in some other space, his own present is changed because now he didn't come to Twin Peaks to try to find out who killed her because she was never killed. You could dig into this stuff forever. And we'll talk about some of that. I think I'm mostly more interested in what it means thematically, kind of how it feels, the dynamics it sets up, than what the sort of literal, real-world, mythological explanations are for everything that we see. The mechanics of it don't interest me quite as much, and sometimes the theories that I've read, I think, are so focused on that, but I'm almost like, who cares? Like, it's a, it's a, it's a story universe where you can make up you can make up whatever he wants anyways, but it's not random. It has a certain meaning, and that, and you know, by meaning, I don't necessarily mean some, like, perfectly articulated little message. You know, Liz Lynch likes to say, if you want a message, go to Western Union. He's not trying to spell things out simply that way, but there has to be kind of an internal coherence to it. And I think there is, and I think you feel it. You just have to tease that out. That's it for this episode. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to support this work, you can join on patreon.com slash lost in the movies. Here's the podcast work that I've published in the past uh, six months in this case, since the uh, last episode I published of Lost in Twin Peaks, which was on part 16 back in December 2022. So a lot of different podcasts to cover here, but let's go through them. And entries that weren't podcasts that were written entries for my Twin Peaks character series. Follow the illustrated companion list to... uh, actually find this material, but uh, starting from the most recent, I just appeared as a guest on the Creamed Corn in the Universe podcast. That's a podcast where they go over different characters, and I was picked by the host, Colin, to discuss Renette's Angel, a very brief character, but a very important one. I also released my Patreon episode, uh, my final Patreon podcast episode, on uh, a dozen different films, each of which I spent at least 15 or 20 minutes on, in some cases over an hour, uh, The Tree of Life and Twin Peaks, comparing those two works, and then also The Lighthouse with guest Riley McDonald, plus The Fablemans, Avatar The Way of Water, Moonlight, The Master, The Act of Killing, Amor, The Florida Project, The Turin Horse, Uncle Boon Me, Who Can Recall His Past Lives, and Tony Erdman. This completed episode 100 to uh, conclude that whole a podcast that I've been running since 2018, one of several things that I've kind of concluded to have more time for the big Twin Peaks projects. Also, uh, my Lost in the Movies public feed, I wrapped up with a sight and sound series uh, discussing the top-ranked films of all time by critics and directors that I had not covered before on my site. So one of these was Stalker. That was the last of those episodes. Um, During this time, I also had a conversation with Sam Giuliano on YouTube about his uh, recent books. He's a fellow uh, online film writer that I've had close ties with for a long time. And then uh, also on the Lost in the Movies feed, the episode on Sunrise, the classic silent film that I'd never covered before. Close Up, the Iranian uh, film from the 90s that was totally new to me, documentary film, Beau Travai. A French, great French film by Claire Denis that was the second highest ranked film on the list that I had neither covered nor seen before. Um, I also released a Patreon episode with listener feedback as part of my episode 100 coverage. Uh, and then for the sight and sound to kick it off, I had Jean Dielman, 23 Commerce Quay, 1080 Bruxelles, the, which was ranked number one film of all time in 2022, a very kind of provocative, controversial decision. 
And I had a great conversation on this film with my guest, Ashley Brandt, who hosts the Twin Peaks Peaks podcast. I also had an episode introducing the Sight and Sound miniseries. Again, we're moving backwards through this, so from most recent to further back. I had another guest appearance on the Artist Love Twin Peaks slash Twin Peaks Grammar podcast, this time as part of a group discussion uh, with other Twin Peaks commentators. I had a conversation with Scott Ryan, who wrote a recent book on Lost Highway, a follow-up to his book on Firewalk With Me, which we talked about in a previous Twin Peaks Conversations episode. And I also had a conversation with Twin Peaks Peaks, the hosts of the that podcast that, you know, they intermittently put out episodes every now and then, but they were mostly active in like the mid-2010s, leading up to the return and then covering the return. So we're going to talk now Looking back over five or six years, their thoughts of all that. So check out that episode. Both of those split over YouTube and uh, the $5 a month Patreon tier. For the public podcast, Twin Peaks Cinema, I released Baraboo and Twin Peaks, covering the similarities between those two films. Uh, Baraboo was the debut, the directorial debut, of Lynch's editor and longtime partner, Mary Sweeney. I also released a Lost in the Movies episode on Southland Tales, the uh, bizarro... Uh, Richard Kelly film uh, that was a very interesting discussion and I actually had it with a guest Andrew Cook. I also covered for Twin Peaks Cinema The Straight Story uh, connecting that David Lynch film to Twin Peaks and uh, for Lost in the Movies covered Under the Skin uh, and then also on Twin Peaks Cinema covered Lost Highway this was part of a series Long Road Home which focused on the Mary Sweeney David Lynch collaboration Uh, on Patreon I released a 40s 30s and silent movie archive, just old reviews that I read aloud in podcast form of films from those decades or those eras of of cinema history. The Power of Nightmares, a political documentary I covered for Lost in the Movies, had a conversation with Andrew Grievous, the publisher of the 25 Years Later Twin Peaks site, a conversation with Twin Peaks Grammar, Anthony, who hosts that YouTube channel, along with Artists Love Twin Peaks, and uh, also went on uh, his podcast and had a conversation with him as well. I almost forgot to mention. Uh, He invited me on there. We had a great uh, exchange. Lost in the Movies also covered Blue Velvet Revisited, the documentary about uh, David Lynch making Twin Peaks behind-the-scenes footage. Uh, Really interesting stuff there. Uh, On Patreon in February, uh, I put out my belated January episode, which covered capsules and uh, archive reviews of 2010s films as well as the 50s including all that heaven allows and much more many other capsule films i won't list them all here but you can check them out and uh, also some public archives on 2010s films both uh, fiction features and uh, documentaries on the olympics put out a twin Peaks cinema episode on Eraserhead, and uh, also on blue velvet and Mulholland Drive, those were part of a series called The Lynchverse, where I looked at uh, different David Lynch films and their connections to Twin Peaks. Had a conversation with John Bernardi, the host of Blue Rose Task Force. Uh, covered Heart of a Dog, uh, interesting avant-garde documentary for Lost in the Movies. Also Marie Antoinette, the Sofia Coppola film. And I had a holiday special on Patreon covering the film The Apartment, the classic 60s comedy. And uh, Twin Peaks cinema episode on Rashomon. Uh, covering that film's fragmented narrative and the way that relates to Twin Peaks. And then finally, I had a part of my Patreon episode on the the 2000s with some capsules and archive reviews. Uh, That was a belated November episode. I I mentioned part of that in the previous Lost in Twin Peaks 
but this was the conclusion of that omnibus episode. Plus, there was a public archive on my uh, 2000s films reviews. And then, as I mentioned, uh, usually I just list podcasts in this section, but I also wanted to talk about my Twin Peaks character series that I put up in the first four months of 2023. And then again, when I came back in the summer for another six weeks or so of coverage. Right now on Patreon, you can read advanced entries for number 30 through 23 with 22 on its way soon. I've written them all, but not released them publicly yet because I always want patrons to have at least a month in advance access. And on the site, the entries I put up uh, included some new intros to older pieces where these were pieces I wrote back in 2017 when I started this character series, like studies on the characters ranked by screen time and uh, if they weren't in season three, I didn't need to revise them. But in some cases, I needed whole new entries because these were new characters. In some cases, I had to revise old ones. So here's just the list of that. Musicians of the Roadhouse at number 31. New intro to Madeline Maddie Ferguson at 32. Jerry Horn at 33. A new intro to Wyndham Merle at 34. Janie E. Jones at number 35. A new intro to Hank Jennings at number 36. Bradley and Rodney Mitchum at number 37. New intro to Dick Tremaine at number 38. Annie Blackburn at number 39. She did have to be revised because of some of the content in Mark Frost's books, even though she didn't come back for season three. Mike Nelson at number 40. Bushnell Mullins at number 41. A new intro to FBI agents Chester Chet Desmond and Sam Stanley at number 42. Detective Dave Mackley at number 43. Ray Monroe at number 44. Margaret the Log Lady Lanterman at number 45. Those are the ones that I released in the summer. And then if we go back uh, to April and further before that, uh, the rest of these entries. There was a new intro to Evelyn Marsh at number 46. Uh, full entry on Richard Horn, number 47. New intro to John Justice Wheeler and Harold Smith at 49 and 48. Anthony Sinclair's number 50. Bill Hastings, number 51. Eileen Hayward, number 52. New intro to Philip Gerard, number 53. Candy as well as Sandy and Mandy at number 54. Carrie Page at number 55. New intro to John Renault, Mayor Dwayne Milford, Lana Budding Milford at 58, 57, 56. Sonny Jim Jones at number 59. Charlie at number 60. New intro to Renette Pulaski at number 61. The Singer at number 62. Freddie Sykes at number 63. New intro to Jacques Renault at number 64. Ernie Niles at number 65. This is five, six months of material here, so bear with me. Deputy Chad Broxford at number 66. Sam Colby and Tracy Barbaretto at number 67. Hutch and Chantal Hutchins at number 68. New intro to Andrew Packard at number 69. Carl Rod at number 70. FBI Chief of Staff Denise Bryce at number 71. New intro to Black Rose Blackie O'Reilly at number 72. Betty Briggs at number 73. Becky Burnett at number 74. The Roadhouse Patrons at number 75. They're discussed as a as a group together. Detectives T, D, and Smiley Fusco at number 76. Daria at number 77. Beverly Page at number 78. Gersten Hayward at number 79. FBI agent Philip Jeffries at number 80. New intro to Mountie Preston King. Judge Clinton Sternwood. Emery Battis at numbers 83, 82, and 81. Sylvia Horn at number 84. Phil Bisbee at number 85. Stephen Burnett at number 86. Johnny Horn uh, is a bonus entry, number 24, because he had less than 10 minutes, but I'd written about this character before, so I uh, just updated the entry. Vivian Niles, bonus number 23, and Heidi, bonus number 22. And then there was a new intro to the bonus entries, numbers 1 through 21. Again, characters who didn't have uh, the screen time that the characters I was covering for this new series did, but had different criteria in 2017, so I had 
written these entries on all of them, had to still incorporate them, kind of grandfather them into the series. And then other entries uh, included top 30 runners-up of the return, new intro to 30 hidden characters, a collection of minor characters, extremely brief appearances, and introducing the revised series. So there you go. A lot of work on the Twin Peaks character series. It paused in April and then paused again until the end of uh, 2023 where we are now and I'm, I'm planning on keeping it paused i'll keep previewing the entries behind the scenes on patreon but uh i want to wait until i'm done with all of these to start publishing them again uh, similarly to with lost in twin peaks uh, coincidentally both have about 22 entries left in them but some of those are big meaty entries so they're going to take a while to get through uh this one just just fell way behind it was such a bear such a challenge. I don't know why. All this material was completed years ago, but the re-editing process, the illustrated companions, they just suck up a lot of time. So uh, I'm going to have to figure out a way to present all of this, but uh, looking forward to doing that. Now, tune in tomorrow for more on Part 17 and 18. In this case, we're going to change up the structure a little bit, and we're actually going to focus on the events that happen specifically in part 17. So we're still going to organize it by like location and storyline, but I'm just going to focus on the part 17 parts. Mm -hmm.